Recently, I, I spent a lot of time in uh, Tompkins Square Park, which is um, such a place. So here I have a poem of Satsurup Maharaj about the chanting in Tompkins Square Park, and I wanted to begin there. Um, Swami's flock chants in park to find ecstasy. Bring out the old Persian rug, carry it through the crowded streets, past taunters of Prabhupada and his boys. Carry the old rug, rolled, one man at the front, one at the back, up Second Avenue, then east to the park, past stairs and yells. A timid devotee, rouse brave with him. He's with Krishna, and they're with him. Carry it into the park, along with the bongo and cartels, set it down, and unroll it on the asphalt for sitting and dancing in kirtan. Grasping the strap of the two-tone bongo, its skin held tightened by metal studs, Prabhupada's deft fingers would play, bouncing and muted beats in the center and on the rim. He knew how to play, so that it sounded like a two-headed coal. His chanted attracted, a quick dozen came, then twenty, a hundred, joining his boys in chorus at the People's Park. To choose to attend to the Lower East Side, what kindness and humility and intelligence. As a voice, together, he and his followers sang, but his voice and presence made it happen. His boys were a newly formed group not thoroughly convinced, not yet a team. Among themselves, they had little, except they were with him, their saving grace. Dressed niggardly like others in the park, yet somehow, out of millions, they were his. That was simply his grace. That they were beside him, sitting closely on the rug. The Sunday park was popping up with people, on the walks and benches and patches of green. So when Swamiji began his chant, plenty were there to hear a whole park full attended his kirtan. You took your boys and mixed with the people what their lives were didn't face you because now they were chanting the holy name. I can't imagine the pleasure as felt by you and persons on the spiritual planets to see that dirty speck on earth in New York City, itself a speck in the smallest universe. You saw them breaking their chains, direct contact with Lord Krishna, very difficult to obtain, now streamed out freely from your singing. What you did that afternoon was only a start, yet whatever great thing, uh, whatever great thing devotees may do today is inspired by your chanting in Tompkins Square Park, your intimate act of redemption lives on. That singing continues because of you. Were you to have not chanted, the world would have ended. A world with love means love of God in the heart of his people who leads the people. As you stood before the oak tree and spoke to the common people on public ground, hippies found it mellow. Local poets and mu musicians celebrated for the moment. Rowdies and hoodlums were held at bay, and a few were struck 
with a serious thought to surrender. That afternoon is not recorded in American or world history books, although it was the perfect act to save the country and the world from ruin. But the day lives forever as fulfillment of scripture that every town and village shall chant and even meat eaters shall, shall take part in Harinam, the highest service to God and in humans. Um, <clears throat> this year we had the, uh, the first Kirtan Mela in Tompkins Square Park. Um, it was high time to return there and formally um, invite all the devotees of the world to, uh, to come and chant. And from now on we intend to have that Kirtan Mela every year. Of course we hope it will grow and we hope the whole park will fill up with all of you and many others. Um, it will always be the first weekend in June on the Friday. Um, so in that way, for years to come, we will continue to chant in Tompkins Square Park from where Krishna consciousness, from where public chanting spread all over the world. Um, Prabhupada was the only one who had the vision. Prabhupada was seated there under the tree, a little bit off to the side. Uh, not center stage, but a little off the side. Uh, a casual observer might not immediately not immediately register that he was the one who was making it all happen. It seemed to be just one of these typical hippie events where a group of hippies come together and beat some drums and chant. That was not so uncommon. I remember from Amsterdam Square. Uh, Dam Square, same thing. People would sit and play bongos and Blow on, blow on flutes, but that was it. No mantra, just banging and playing flutes. And many were macrobiotic, not only Nandadaini, I was also macrobiotic. Everyone, not everyone, but many. Mm. Forerunner of vegan. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. But I would secretly eat cheese. <laughs> Uh, I'm Dutch. Uh. <laughs> um, yes. And Prabhupada. Prabhupada was there, seated under the tree in, in Tompkins Square Park. Uh, um, and Prabhupada was able, from that position, to see the past and to see the future. Prabhupada was able to see the entire tradition of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he, know, he knew how Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, had started public chanting, Jeev Jago, Jeev Jago, Gorachandra, Bhone. Everywhere, chanting 
Charitamrita was his only solace. As he was crossing, he was reading Chaitanya Charitamrita and he was thinking about Lord Chaitanya's desire to, um, to change the life of everyone simply by widely distributing the holy name. Prabhupada was aware of that. Prabhupada saw the present. He saw these hippies. And Satsarupa Maharaj kept, he captured the moment and described how no one exactly had a purpose. No one exactly knew where they were going with their life. Uh, confused, hazy, too many drugs, um, somewhat somewhat spiritually inclined, but yet at the same time not understanding how to go about it. The mood was, if there was a taboo, it had to be broken. That was the 60s, right? Because after all, society had for so long been, been chained, chained in, uh, in uh, in narrow-minded rules and regulations confining people without allowing the, the true nature of people to just flow. Everyone thought to be spiritual means to be completely free, to be completely yourself. And so the prophets of the day uh, headed up by John Lennon saying, why don't we do it in the road? And that was the spirit, right? To, to be free. And Prabhupada was amidst those people, um, but he didn't, he didn't worry about these things. He was not thinking that, oh, these people are not very moral, Oh, they are this, they are not that. No, Prabhupada was simply seeing their chanting Hare Krishna. Um, their chanting Hare Krishna. And knowing the potency, knowing fully that the holy name is Krishna, and knowing that anyone who chants the name only once, that his life is permanently changed, and what to speak of those who are chanting again and again. Over and over. So that day, Prabhupada was aware of what he was doing. Nobody else was. And Prabhupada, from that place, from that place, could see the future. Who could see? He could see all of us. Right? Although some of us were not yet born in, in 1966. I guess not everyone in the room uh, was born in before 1966. And, and yet, 
Prabhupada could see all of us, and Prabhupada can see those, could see those who have not yet taken birth, and you could see they would also come. Oh. He understood, he fully understood what was going on. So how nice is it now when we all can return there? And then that tree, uh, who is that tree? That is a question. Um, it is described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to Vrindavan, that uh, he was very joyful. He was jubilant and he was so happy to be in Vrindavan that he was, uh, he was simply uh, recognizing old friends and he began to embrace every tree in Vrindavan seeing every tree as his close, as his close friend. And the deer came from the forest to meet him. Anyway, so those acts of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu have created uh, a culture in our movement of tree-hugging. And uh, in Vrindavan, they will always see some devotees hugging trees. Uh, now, you know, uh, the Netherlands is a, is a country with a Protestant culture and you know, and they say mo Dutch mothers, they say just act normal, that is crazy enough <laughs> so, so, so that's how I grew up, you know, so something like tree hugging, you know is really like, uh, you know do I have to read, so I never did it in Vrindavan although I was there for years not even the Tamal tree in the temple or courtyard I never hugged it, right? <laughs> but then I was in New York, and I came to Tompkins Square Park, and I thought, look, you know, this time I'm going to do it. <laughs> right? So it's quite some years back, you know. I went up to that tree, and OK, I gave it a big hug, you know. It's a big tree, actually. and. This is holding this big tree like that and thinking, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> what, do, what, do I, what do you do? I said, well, I guess I have to pray. All right, so what do I pray for? I said, well, Prabhupada started preaching from under this tree, so let me pray. Let me pray for the power to preach. So I'm praying and then, well, finished praying, you know. Dutch Protestants' prayers are also not very long. <laughs> so, you know, prayer was over. And then I said, well, you know, okay, it's done, you know. So I turned around, and then there was a boy standing under the tree. And the boy asked me, he said, what do I have to do to become a monk like you? And I tell you, I tell you folks, if you don't believe me, but I tell you, I saw with my own eyes, that tree is a desired tree. And if you have any doubts about it, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, that tree is a wish-fulfilling desired tree. Now, there's still a question that remains. Um, was the tree 
actually a spiritual tree that came from the spiritual world, just waiting for Prabhupada to walk into that park. Possibility number one. Hmm. Or was that tree an ordinary tree that by association of Prabhupada transformed and became a spiritual desire tree? Some might favor the latter option. Others might go for the first one because we don't know. We really don't know. We don't know what Prabhupada's power is. Oh, certainly Prabhupada could transform places. Oh, certainly wherever Prabhupada went, places became transcendental, fully transformed. That tree now is so potent. I regularly take people there at Arco. And, and not only me, not only I am telling people, hey, hug that tree. No, no, no. There are bums living in the park, homeless people. And they tell everybody, hey, hey, you have to hug it. <laughs> if, you, if you go as a devotee, yeah. They, that is their devotional service. See? How nice. Duncan Square Park. Yes, they are the guard, they are the caretakers of the park. Those bums. Um, Prabhupada was there on the Bowery, just a few streets away, and, uh, and had to step over the bums uh, to get onto the loft. Prabhupada was there on that loft, right? And somehow or other, um, Prabhupada had a gathering on that loft. And he stayed with this young boy. And one day, a journalist came to meet Prabhupada there. And that journalist, he walked through the crowd and he came up to Prabhupada and quoting from Stanley, who met Livingston at the Nile, he said, Bhaktivedanta Swami, I presume. And so he met Prabhupada. And then his first question was, he said, what are these people doing here? And Prabhupada said, I don't know. He said, and they don't know either. Uh, that was the situation. So, a, a difficult situation. Extremely difficult. Uh, who could go there to preach Krishna consciousness? But he did. Um, but then when that, uh, that boy had a bad LSD trip and lost it and went David and, and, and became aggressive, went really mad. Then Prabhupada grabbed his few belongings and stepped right out on the street. And then it was Michael Grant. Michael Grant who made the difference. Huh? Michael Grant became Mukunda Goswami. And he, Mukunda Goswami, is an interesting personality because on three different occasions he played a key role in, in Prabhupada's movement. The first time he found Matchless Gift storefront. Right? 
That, that made all the difference. Somehow or other, he was enterprising. He, did, he was a musician, he was popular, well-connected, knew many people, and he just went asking, and he found the place. And it was right there, right there in the heart of, of, the, of, the, of the Lower East Side, where all the young people were, where it was happening. And it was only one block away from the, uh, from the place where Prabhupada was staying. So it was totally convenient. And, uh, and then, uh, later, Mukunda also was instrumental in opening the temple in San Francisco. He found the building, Frederick Street, and then, and then, he was also the one who, who got Bury Place in London. So three times, Mukunda got Prabhupada a crucial, a crucial place at, at times when that was very difficult. When so that, that was like key junctions. Uh, and amidst all those hippies, he seemed to be one whose brain was working. <laughs> it was, no, really, it was sort of, was not the time that brains were working in the same way as they're working today. I mean, I, in those days, in my town, would go to a, a place um, called the Electric Center, and then upstairs there was a tea house, and everyone was taking all kinds of substances there, and there were tropical birds flying in the room. <laughs> and everyone was like... It's <laughs> <laughs> so not so easy. Um, to not so easy to uh, to explain the philosophy of Krishna consciousness to such a crowd. I mean, they were possibly not uh, ready to uh, to grasp it. Um, so when Prabhupada moved to the Matchless Gift storefront. It was absolutely something else. Um, when we go now to that storefront, um, it's still very simple. Um, the storefront was kept for many years, um, but there was a short period that it was not with Iskan. Um, when the devotees moved from um, from matchless gifts to a bigger temple in, in Henry Street in Brooklyn, um, then for some time they gave up the storefront. And they never thought of it like as we're thinking of it now. Now we're thinking of it as not just a monument, uh, way beyond that. You know, um, I'll get into that in, in, in a moment. Um, um, when Prabhupada was, was there, he, um, of course, Prabhupada was thinking. He was all along thinking beyond what was happening there. Um, and night, one day, uh, this lawyer stands up and he is... <laughs> one day, this lawyer stands up 
and he's looking for some volunteers who can sign a document. The Swamiji is creating a society, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. No one understood what it, all, what it was all about. No one, but the Swami wanted it, so all right, some people signed. That was it. And Prabhupada volunteered some name. Brahmananda, you can sign. Okay, okay yeah, sure. Uh, no one understood. No one understood uh, what would happen. And uh, they thought that Krishna consciousness would just be that. Swamiji, and as an exotic spiritual personality on the Lower East Side. Uh, a guru, that was something far out to have in the neighborhood, in the hood, as it's called, you know. A guru in the hood. <laughs> that's how they call it. So, you know, that's like sort of, I mean, you can, no, you can drop in, you know. You can drop in any time and just uh, sort of sit in the kirtans and all these things or hear him speak, you know, with his thick accent. Uh, all those things you can do, I mean, that's about it. It's far out. I mean, becoming his disciple, that was something uh, inconceivable. But still, some did. Although they didn't quite understand what it meant, because only after the initiation, Prabhupada wrote down that everyone had to follow four regulated principles <laughs> and 16 rounds. Huh? These people, they didn't promise no meat, fish or eggs, no gambling, no intoxication, no illicit sex, no. It was just written on a piece of paper the day after the initiation. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and then next door from the temple there was the donut plant and they would always be there having donuts and ice cream, and then Prabhupada would look past and look inside, and they tried to sort of <laughs> hide themselves. Um, it was, it was uh, a total change, um, a total change. And uh, it took some time. Anyhow, Prabhupada, in the matchless gift storefront, was there not just with a desire, not just with a desire to preach worldwide. That wasn't all. Prabhupada was there in matchless gift with an intensity, with a very strong intensity to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world. And there was an urgency because he was an old man and he could die any moment. Therefore, it had to be done fast and big, and it had to just be done with great force. And all that, all that was in Prabhupada's consciousness. And all that, from that consciousness, somehow or other, touched that entire place and transformed the entire matchless gift storefront. And whenever you are there, that, that energy is there. Now, uh, I could get scientific about it, you know. I could say, did he in, in some possible way alter the consciousness of the sukshma jivas, the subtle jivas that are residing in between the atoms in the wall? Would that be what it is? And maybe 
my dear scientists among you, that would be an interesting theory to pursue. However, I couldn't care less about the scientific side because you're never sure when it comes to that kind of science. But it's possible. Uh, but for all that I know is that place is surcharged with extremely powerful spiritual energy. It is, it is as condensed, as concentrated, as much boiled down as Prabhupada's meditation, as Prabhupada's desire, as Prabhupada's deep, heartfelt desire to somehow or other take Krishna consciousness all over the world. And it was all happening, all deposited there in that one place. That's, that was the beginning. And if you're there in that place, I mean, you have to be uh, more, more dull. Uh, I, I use again the German word, abgestumpft, <laughs> which Dwarkadish reminded me like a tree that has been cut and only a stump is left. Right? Abgestumpft. And yeah, one has to be very dull to walk into that place and not notice the special potency. But even if you are abgestumpft, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. You can still walk into the storefront because you can become, even then, you get the mercy. Doesn't matter whether you notice it or not. But most of us, when we're in that place, uh, are immediately, immediately experiencing it. Therefore, my dear devotees, I must tell you that I know you all think about going to Vrindavan, but I'm telling you, at least once in your life, once in your life, and why only once? <laughs> at least once in your life, go to that matchless gift storefront. Oh yes. And then you follow the same path, the same path that the boys were walking with that rolled up Persian rug. You walk up 7th Avenue to 7th Street, right? Which is like, okay, six blocks up, and then you turn right towards the east. And then, yes, you cross 1st Avenue, and there it is, on the left side, Tompkins Square Park, and you walk in and just walk straight to the heart of the park, right there. It's not a very big park. You can't miss the tree, really. And if you do, there is a little sign on the tree, but you have to look up. <laughs> you might miss it if you don't look up. And when you look up, you see it there, Hare Krishna tree. Oh, yeah. And then you stand in front of the tree and you look to the left, and there's some park benches and a, and a fence, and just behind is a sign. And on that sign, it is a sign put up by the New York City Council. And on that sign, it is explained that this is where his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Swami Prabhupada, began 
his public chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, right, as an Acharya in the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition and, and as, as an early beginning of the of starting his movement, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which has spread all over the world. Something like that. Um, and you can go there and take a picture of that, and you can blow it up and hang it on your wall in your house, um, next to that picture of Prabhupada in Tonkin's Square Park. Because it is, it is there um, that the desire the desire of Srila Prabhupada was, was at a very intense, strong level. Just like Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur was explaining that some are saying that Vrindavan is the topmost place. And in Vrindavan, in particular, Radhakund. Right? Others are saying that Mayapur is the topmost place because this is the age. This is the age of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. But Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, right, that actually Kuruksetra is the topmost place. He said, because when Radharani met Krishna there, there the, the feeling of separation reached its peak because there she saw him and yet she couldn't reach him because, because he was in his royal dress. So therefore there all the feelings flared up and then she couldn't reach him and that's when it broke and when she grabbed him. Uh, grabbed the chariot and start and the other gopis also and pulled Krishna back to Vrindavan, the beginning of Ratiyatra. In the same way, uh, we understand that there, in, in matchless gifts, right, there, Prabhupada had the most intense desire, the most intense desire. Now he had come, he had crossed the, and the ocean, he had what did he carry with him? Okay, good. Yeah, just. What did he carry with him? He carried his Bhagavatams, these three books. Uh, the, he sold the first set to, to the captain. He had a trunk with Bhagavatams. He sold them. Uh, some of the devotees bought them. Different people would sometimes come and buy. Satsuru bought them. Steve, he read them uh, in the origin. Original ones, they were reddish. These ones, no? this one is brown. The original batch that Prabhupada had with him had, had reddish binding, it is said. Satsarup Maharaj speaks about that. And how. Uh huh. So, yeah, some batch was red, some batch was brown. That's clear. And so. These books, they were carried by Prabhupada and uh, across. Um, and there he began in his storefront. And everything happened there um, in two years. That was the, 
the, the whole uh, birth of the Hare Krishna movement, the birth of Krishna consciousness in the West, uh, it taking a new form, a combination, a combination of being very liberal and a combination of being very strict. Huh? We heard from Nandadaini that Prabhupada was strict. Huh? Why is this girl speaking to that boy? Uh, nowadays, no one would think too much about that. But, but uh, so strictness on the one hand, but very liberal on the other hand to deal with all these people and whatever they brought with them and everything they didn't understand. Then Prabhupada began in the matchless gift storefront. Hmm? He put a sign at the window that he would be giving classes there three, three days a week. That was it. And uh, in the evenings. And, uh, and Prabhupada, it was a very bare storefront. There was a light bulb, not even uh, a, lamp, a lampshade, nothing, just a light bulb above Prabhupada's head, and he is just there. There's nothing. And then, however, something amazing happened. As Prabhupada was chanting there and having kirtan daily and lectures, he um, somehow or other instilled some bhakti in, in the hearts of, of the people. So what happened was, that in 1965, when Prabhupada came across the ocean on the Sindhya steamship, the Jaladutta, Prabhupada was in the passenger cabin. Right? There were a few passenger cabins on the ship. Otherwise, it was a freight ship. And uh, all right, he came down from the ship. And initially, um, someone had arranged that he got a bus fare to a place in Butler where he could stay with some family that had sponsored him. So he was staying there, um, Gopal and Sally Agarwal. Meanwhile, two persons, two boys from New York, they boarded the Jaladuta after Prabhupada had come off to go to India to look for a guru. And they went to Calcutta, that's where the boat came from. And they looked everywhere for a guru and they didn't find a guru. Right? But they did some shopping, bought some souvenirs and things and brought these things back. Then when Prabhupada came back, when Prabhupada was in, 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 uh, in America and the boys came back, one day one of them met Prabhupada and his name was Howard. And he said, oh, are you from India? And, and Prabhupada said, yes. And you, are you also from India? No, but I've been in India. He didn't tell him on the Jaladuta, but he had been in India together with Keith, who became Kirtanananda. I agree with him, Kirtanananda. So these two had gone on the Jaladuta to look for a guru in Calcutta. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, now you can see Krishna's hand. That is more than, than transcendence. And they didn't find a guru. 
and then they came back. And then one day, they had decided to surprise Prabhupada, and they decorated the whole storefront. They made a little raised platform, they made a seat for Prabhupada, they put all these posters on the wall that they purchased in Calcutta. And one was Sadbuj, the sixth armed form of Lord Chaitanya. Uh, two arms of Krishna, uh, no, first two arms of Ramachandra, bow and arrow, two arms of Krishna holding the flute, and two arms of Lord Chaitanya holding Danda and Kamandalu. And this six-armed form, this poster is what they brought and put on the wall. Then there was another poster of, uh, of Hanuman. And, uh, and, and Haya Griva asked Prabhupada, said, who is he? Is he a cat? And <laughs> 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 they're saying, like, this is, this is where people were at, you know. Is he a cat, Hanuman? I mean, everybody nowadays, how ignorant could they be? Right? But the whole West was so ignorant. Not only did Prabhupada teach, but how much has the Western world now been exposed to all this knowledge? It is everywhere. Huh? One time I went to a small, small country town for a program, and everybody who came was 60 years old. So I thought, okay, maybe I should start slowly. Um, let me begin about karma and reincarnation. And, and soon after I started, someone raised his hand and said, uh, one lady raised her hand and said, you know, yeah, this karma and reincarnation, everybody knows that. Do you have anything else? <laughs> I tell you, when old, when old ladies in some country town right, know everything about karma and reincarnation, then you can be sure that, you know, everybody knows about karma and reincarnation <laughs> these days. Right? It's nothing special anymore. But in the 60s, only the in-crowd knew these things. In the 60s, only the in-crowd was wearing blue jeans. Only the in-crowd was wearing t-shirts. Yeah, that was cool. My God, you know. Everybody else was wearing formal office dress, you know, like uh, button shirts and like, and that was normal. But then, you know, these hippies, blue jeans, wow, t-shirts, wow. Huh? Now it's become the uniform of the world, right? Everyone, I mean, if we would have to count how many t-shirts there are in this room, that would, you know, keep you busy for a while. Yeah. So that's the... Um, no one had any knowledge whatsoever. No one knew what to do. Um, so many examples. In Amsterdam, there was the installation of the deities. There was a yagya. Prabhupada was asking for fruits. Obviously, if you do yagya, you need some fruits to decorate the yagya shala. But nobody knew these things. The fruits never came. So it's very annoying when you've sent someone and they don't come back. Just, just that you know. <laughs> and then, you know, then you send someone after that person. And if that person also doesn't come back, that's bad for your blood pressure. So I can really appreciate what Prabhupada felt. He had sent one person for fruits, 
send a second person after the first for the fruits and still, still, they didn't come back. So Prabhupada was getting highly annoyed. And then finally they did come back and what did they bring? Fruit salad. <laughs> People didn't know. People didn't know. You heard about the first initiation, right? And that the devotees were sitting down and that they had uh, grains on the plate in front of them and a banana and they, and they had to throw the grains in the fire, Prabhupada said, so they'll throw the grains in the fire. And then Prabhupada said, and now you take the banana. And then some people opened the banana and started eating the banana. <laughs> was just something, you know, it's incredible, <laughs> it's so, but it's just there was no one who knew anything, so, you know, we, we don't realize how much we rely on people who know a little more than we do, and even without asking, we sort of walk into the place, and, you know, we do sort of as the others do, and, you know, sort of look, what is, what is, Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no one's eating the banana. Okay. <laughs> In this way, you know, it doesn't happen anymore that people eat their bananas. Right? But in those days, uh, anything was possible. Uh, uh, Mataji was describing something about dotis, and uh, yeah, uh, I also I had forgotten my dhoti somewhere. I came from one temple and I went to England to Bury Place and I forgot my dhoti. But fortunately there was a saffron curtain. <laughs> so I took the curtain and put the curtain, you know, so at least I'd have a dhoti. <laughs> it's just like there were no dhotis around, you know. I was lucky there was a curtain. <laughs> Uh, it was like that. Yeah. Uh, it was a very simple movement, but, and nobody knew, knew very much, but Prabhupada himself instilled this surrender. And in Prabhupada's present, everyone could surrender. Everyone could do things that they would have never done. I, somehow or other, because I am from Holland and I was, uh, and I joined in India, then I came across Surabi Swami because he was a sannyasi from Holland and, uh, and Surabi Swami, he was an architect. And now his story is also something else, something else, because his story is is that um, he came, he was traveling in India as an architect. He's not a devotee. He's traveling in India as an architect. And uh, he came to Juhu. At the time in Juhu, there was just a block of land and a temporary structure on it. Then, Tamal Krishnamaraj was there. 
So Tamal Krishnamurit saw this foreigner, walked up to him, spoke to him, and said to him, said, oh, uh, why are you this, that? And then within moments, he found out he's an architect. Then he knew very well Prabhupada needed an architect. So he said, oh, oh, our spiritual master is here, and, and you can meet him. Come. So Hans Kalman uh, was, uh, was ready. Yeah, he was ready. So Hans, Hans went with uh, Tamal Krishnamarch and who introduced him to Prabhupada and said, Prabhupada, this is Hans Kalman. He's an architect. And Prabhupada's eyes became round. Oh, architect. Oh, bring a pen and a paper. <laughs> now, I have worked for years with Surabhi Maharaj and I know what kind of architect he is. And, or was, because he has left his body. But I tell you, he was very, very expert. And he could put his pen to paper right? and never lift it. He, he designed the whole building in one line. Yeah? The whole building in one line. It would just go... It's just one line, the whole thing. Never lift his hand until the whole building is designed. Boom. And there it was. And Prabhupada liked it. It was the Krishna Balaram temple in Vrindavan. And Prabhupada liked it very much. And then Prabhupada said to him, said, I want to invite you. I want to invite you. Tomorrow there will be an initiation. <laughs> and then Hans said, oh, that will be very interesting. I, I'd like to come and see it. And who will be initiated? Prabhupada said, you. <laughs> So, you know, he just basically kidnapped him, you know. And it's like incredible, right? Now, you know, everyone comes from, um, everyone had another life before Krishna consciousness. And uh, so his, he was a Grihasta Surabi, but his marriage wasn't going too well and his, wife had interest in someone else and he complained to Prabhupada and then Prabhupada said to him he said okay then I'll give you sannyas tomorrow <laughs> so he did it to him twice twice you know first time he just like I mean he, did, he never asked for sannyas he, and he didn't particularly want it I mean but there was no way back Prabhupada just gave it to him. That was it. Surabhi Swami. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So that was amazing. Um, and Prabhupada would recognize him and recognize his, his professionalism when Bhavananda and Jaipataka Maharaj came from uh, Mayapur and asked for uh, two and a half lakhs for construction. Prabhupada argued and he gave him only one and a half. Right? Surabi came and he asked for five lakhs for Vindavan. And Prabhupada just wrote a check and gave it to him. And then Surabi was about to walk away with the check. And then Prabhupada said, wait a minute, what are you going to do with this check? So, well, um, I'll go to the bank in Vindavan, to the state bank, and I'll deposit it. 
Perhaps I thought so. Give that check to me. I'll send it by mail to the to the to the state bank. In that way, you know, that cost only one rupee instead of the two and a half rupees for the rickshaw. <laughs> so, Prabhupada saved one and a half rupees and told and, and told Surabi, in a in a tactful way, I'm giving you five lakhs, but don't misspend. Huh? Save ev any rupee that you can. But in such an expert way, never to diminish his prestige, never questioning, you're expert. But after Prabhupada left, it became more difficult for Surabi. Then different leaders were challenging him. He told me, um, because I was doing the Mayapur Samadhi, and uh, he told me, in, for eight hours, he told me, and Tamal Krishna Maharaj, he did this and this to me, and he didn't listen to me, and then Bhagavan, da -da -da -da, and then Rameshwar, da -da 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 -da, and like looking at my watch hours, and then he said, and now you're doing it. <laughs> uh, we didn't know how to treat an expert, a professional, a breed, a genius. Um, why a genius? Think, look at Vrindavan. The Samadhi of Prabhupada is an afterthought, but it just looks like, like a perfect design in perfect harmony with the temple. And the idea to make two buildings and an arch, who would have thought of that? Everyone would have made one building, very beautiful, but one. But to make it like a gate, and that Prabhupada Samadhi became like the gate to Krishna, the whole symbolic meaning of it, it's just amazing, amazing. And then Bombay. Prabhupada loved the Twin Towers in Bombay because it made ISKCON modern. And Bombay loves to be modern. They want to be modern. Bombay party city. And everyone would come to the guest house because it was a, it was a modern place. And then in the middle of the lobby, Surabi connected the guest house to the temple and put a glass wall. That was brilliant. Connecting the tradition to the modern world with a wall of glass. And I could have done that. You might have been able to do it, but you would have never thought of it. But he thought of it. In Mayapur, he showed me, he, the Samadhi of Prabhupada, he showed me how it was designed after the Duomo, in Firenze, in Florence, right? But he did one thing different. He made all these, all these uh, panels in the wall which left a space for light. And, the, and no dome in the world has as much light inside as this one. And that was, is the unique thing of my point. So all these buildings are just a stroke of genius. And don't be surprised, because Prabhupada attracted these incredibly powerful people. All these powerful people, he picked them up from everywhere. Huh? Tamal Krishnamarts walks into a university and like, you know, and the professors, who are usually like to hear the sound of their own voice, they also like to hear the sound of Goswami Maharaj's voice. Huh? Because that was Tamal Krishnamarts. When he spoke, everyone would listen. That was his, he had that power. He could speak and everyone just listened. And they all would go, yeah, that makes sense. 
and even the professors. Yeah, that makes sense. Prabhupada attracted these powerful men, huh? either those who joined or those who became friends. Huh? And, and uh, in Vindavan, there was Bhagaji who helped Prabhupada in so many ways. Huh? And, uh, oh, in Bombay, oh, what's the name now? Uh, Mr. Seti, right? Mr. Seti, Mr. Seti, when in Bombay they started the, uh, the temporary construction and Mr. Dyer was fighting and, and trying to get them off the land and he started a demolition order. Meanwhile, Prabhupada was having sent a message to the governor of the state, right? That they're demolishing the temple. And, but it was a race against time because the demolition crew had already started. So, you know, if the order of the, of the governor would be late, the building would be demolished and they would never be able to rebuild it. Then Mr. Seti came there and he sat down with a gun. He sat there with a gun and he, put, he stopped the demolition all by himself. Right? Everyone backed down and he bought time and the order came in time to stop, huh? to stop the breaking of the temple. In this way, in this way, Prabhupada attracted these men. Huh? Mr. Seti used, used to come to Vrindavan when he was still alive on, on a day like today and tell the story himself. Huh? Tell us the story how he sat there with the gun and you know, and like, you know, and you know, you saw Seti sitting there and we could see the, mentally we could see the gun in his hands and don't mess with Mr. Seti, okay? He was a tough dude because <laughs> Prabhupada sent all these powerful person, he attracted all these powerful people. Mm. Once Bhavananda told me, he said, Prabhupada, told him that he said that he was in the spiritual world and Krishna told him that he wanted him to go to the material world and he said oh no no I don't want to go I don't like austerity <laughs> and Krishna said no 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 problem don't worry don't worry there will be no austerity at all I will do everything all you have to do is write books and then, then he agreed, and he came, and the rest is history, as we can see, the history of this movement. So somehow or other, um, Krishna, when we hear the story of uh, Nandadayini, it's a beautiful story, uh, and a story of, of a level of surrender and you might think could I have joined in that movement could I have done that um, but they did um, somehow or other they had that faith um, in Germany I was sharing a room with Bhakti Bhushan Swami now Bhakti Bhushan Swami is the first devotee first German devotee, you know? 
So Bhakti Bhusan Swami, uh, basically what happened was Shivananda, a 19-year-old boy from America, came to Germany and he stood alone on the street chanting Hare Krishna and he had a few magazines. Then this German boy comes up and takes a magazine from him. He reads the magazine and the next day he joins him. So as I was sharing the room with him, Maharaj, I said, Maharaj, how could you join a boy with a magazine? <laughs> he said, I've always been like that. If I believed in something, I just went for it. Well, I wasn't like that. I was like, hmm, what is that? I don't know. Mm, mm. Uh, I waited and checked it out and was much more uh, skeptic. But those who are really pious, right? those who have great piety from a previous life, yes, they have that immediate faith right there and then. That's what we saw in Bhaktipusha Maharaj. And that's what we see, you know, Brahmananda. Who could replace Brahmananda? Who would have such dedication like Brahmananda? I was there when Brahmananda's body was put in Samadhi in Vrindavan. Hmm? Because I had a close relationship with Brahmananda. You know, when I became a guru in ISKCON for some reason, right, one of the few who were not initiated by Prabhupada still became a spiritual master. Then what happened is Brahmananda had heard about it on the GBC level. So he comes down and he says to me, they're going to make you a guru. <laughs> I felt like in front of Brahmananda, I felt like, you know, who am I? I was there when Brahmananda was going to be put in Samadhi. And all these devotees were there. Guru Kripa, who had done so much to collect the money for the Krishna Balaram temple in the Jumna Maharaj, who was doing so much to push on this mission. Many devotees who were all like just real Prabhupada men. They were all there. And all the Prabhupada men and women, Malati was there. And all these Prabhupada people, they all said, Brahmananda was a real Prabhupada man. <laughs> and then I was like, wow. You know, that was amazing. That was amazing. And what I remember from that occasion is the story I like to tell about Brahmananda. Is that Brahmananda gave a lecture once glorifying Prabhupada. And that when he glorified Prabhupada, that then um, he asked for questions. And then someone said, oh, I think for you, Prabhupada is just like God. He's just like God. And Brahmananda said, oh no, oh no, no, no. He's not God. Prabhupada is as good as God. But these days, I think that he's better than God. Because... He came to the Lower East Side and saved me. And then he started crying and couldn't speak anymore. And such love for Prabhupada, that's what we see. Um, Prabhupada attracted these amazing devotees um, 
like all of you, and that is something extraordinary. How everyone just came to this movement and stays in this movement, just because of Prabhupada. So, thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada, Ki Jai.